0: We have been, over the course of the past few weeks, we've been going through a series where we've been looking at Psalm 112, and I've confessed to you that Psalm 112 tends to be, it's, it's one of my favorite psalms. It's one of my 150 top psalms, and um, but I really love this one. This is one that, uh, truth be told, I, I read regularly just as counsel to myself and encouragement to myself, something that I want ringing around in my mind and ringing around in my heart, because when you look at what Psalm 112 teaches, it shows us what it's like to go through life with unshakable character. And it it shows us what it looks like to be enthusiastic for God's ways in the midst of a world that wants its own way. And as we've been working our way through this Psalm, we've been looking at it just one verse at a time. And uh, this week, we're at verse 5 of Psalm 112. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to read the whole psalm. But in verse 5, you're going to see that it talks about this concept of generosity. And so today, we're going to be focusing our attention on that concept and just talking about this idea of setting the stage for intentional generosity. So what does it look like for you and for me in the context in which we live with the gifts that the Lord's blessed us with? to ultimately be very intentional about this concept of generosity, like it describes here in Psalm 112. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 112. Like I said, I'll read through the whole thing, but our focus today is primarily going to be on verse 5, and this is what it says, starting with verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments, His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. And then this verse is our focus today. It says, It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Lord, as we continue our look at Psalm 112, we pray that you just continue to give us your insight and your guidance as your spirit empowers us to have these things as we look at these verses. Lord, we, we know that as we look at this portion of Scripture, you paint a picture for us of what it's like to value true character, character that you can foster within anyone who trusts in you. And so, Lord, we know that there are times just in our own human frailties that we feel like we waver on so many of these issues, and then there are also the influences that come at us from the outside that try and encourage us to go in a different direction from what you've outlined in this portion of Scripture. But, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your strength and your power and how you enable us to live a life that ultimately glorifies you, and so that's our desire as we walk by faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would honor you, that we would glorify your name, And that we put into practice the type of counsel that you give to us in a psalm like this. So Lord, thank you for allowing us to start off our week right now looking at this portion of Scripture. And we pray that this truth would just seep into us and just reverberate into all areas of our lives. And we're just so thankful, Lord, for the privilege to be able to look at it together right now. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So not long ago, I read the story of a, a young guy named Fred Barley. He was nineteen years old, and he was he was found living on a a college campus in Georgia in a tent. It was at Gordon State College in Barnesville, georgia and when the when the police found him, it was their intention to evict him from the property i 'm not sure if somebody reported him or exactly how they came across him, but when they found him living in a tent on that campus, they intended to evict him from the property, but in the process of trying to go through with that, they learned the rest of his story. Barley was actually registered to take classes at the school, so he wasn't just passing through or anything like that. He was registered as a student there, he was a biology major, he was actually about to begin his second semester there. So he'd already completed one semester and now he was starting a second one, but because of his lack of finances, he had to do something a little bit creative. He didn't have transportation to get from his home back to the campus for the new semester, So he actually, he asked his younger brother if he could borrow his younger brother's bike. Just picture a bike that's a little bit too small for a 19-year-old. And he rode that bike for six hours from his home to the campus while carrying as many of his possessions on his back as he could, along with two gallons of water and a box of cereal. And when I read this story, I I was thinking to myself, I'm like, all right, Forget all the other possessions, just adding two gallons of water would be enough of a workout, wouldn't it? You know, riding a kid's bike carrying two gallons of water, that's something that's no small task. And Barley's goal was to arrive before the semester began with the goal of landing a job. He wanted to try and find a job, and so he got there a little bit before the semester began and started looking for a job, but he couldn't find anything. And when the police officers found him living in that tent on the fringes of campus and they heard his story, they felt compassion for him and they, out of their own pockets, decided to pay for him to actually get a hotel. And so they were able to reserve a hotel room for him. They paid for it out of their own pockets and then word of this story started spreading. And then others decided, well, let's, we'll contribute to his subsequent expenses and his fees for staying at the hotel and so a bunch of people started chipping in and then a local pizza shop heard the story how he couldn't find a job and so the pizza shop hired him to begin working there and so he started working there and then another woman and I think it was somebody that was pretty close to his age set up an online campaign to raise additional funds to pay for his ongoing educational expenses and when that online campaign was finished she had raised $184,000, $184,000, and what they did was they put it in an educational trust to cover all his college expenses and all the things around the edges of that for the rest of his time at the college. And when I heard that story, I couldn't help but feel impacted by that kind of generosity because that's above and beyond. That's not the, the, you know, the most common thing that we typically hear. And certainly when you look at this, you could say Fred Barley was certainly blessed by those that stepped up to meet his needs and to help him out in the midst of all of this. But I'm certain that, that those who did this, those who helped him, could also testify to the fact that they felt just as blessed as Barley did, if not more, when they chose to help him. There's an interesting thing that happens when we choose to be generous. Jesus himself said it. He said, it's better to give than it is to receive. There's something about it that is better. Well, what did he mean when he said it's better? Why is it better? Because there are certain things in my life that I could look at, and I say, yeah, I received that, and I really, really enjoyed it. And then there are other times in my life that I could look at, and I could say, you know what? I, it's hard to think of a, of a feeling that felt better than being able to help in this context or that context. And so what does this look like for you and for me when we actually try and live out generosity the way Psalm 112 talks about it and the way we can see certain examples of how people have demonstrated that? You see in Psalm 112, verse 5, this topic of generosity. and We're told here that the person of unshakable character looks for opportunities to share their resources, to use their resources to benefit The lives of others. We're told in this verse, so let me highlight it again, I'll bring it up behind me. It says, It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, who deals generously and lends. It's it's very interesting when you look at what this scripture tells us and the different things that this scripture reveals, because it's walking us through the process of all these different elements of what, what an individual who follows the Lord seeks to implement in their day-to-day life. It's giving you a picture. I think a lot of times, for me, throughout the course of my Christian walk, I've looked for blueprints, and I've looked for mentors, and I've looked for people who model what it actually looks like to live out great faith. And when you look at Psalm 112, it gives us a great picture of how this is demonstrated in multiple areas including generosity and here it reveals to us when you look at this verse it reveals to us that the nature of this person's character offers a great picture of the heart of Jesus Christ when you take this portion of scripture and you look at it it, through the lens of what scripture reveals to us about Jesus we see here a great picture of what Christ's heart actually looks like in many ways when you look at Christ's earthly ministry Jesus demonstrated his desire to bless others and when you look at his earthly ministry you also notice something else Jesus was very active about trying to ease the suffering of other people. He would do it in a variety of ways. Sometimes he would meet different uh, needs. He'd provide different things that people needed. He would provide food. He would provide healing. We also see the generosity of Christ, the generous heart uh, of Christ, as he would seek to share the joys of his eternal kingdom with those who would trust in him. The fact that Christ would look at us and he would say, listen, I don't want to just give you a momentary blessing. Even when you think of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He's saying, listen, your whole life up to this point has been trying to seek momentary blessings. And I'm telling you, I can give you water that will make you thirst no more. It will satisfy your thirst forever. And he was trying to illustrate to her a spiritual reality that up to that point she was missing. And Christ offers that to you and to me. He's not just offering us momentary blessings this side of heaven. He's saying, I want you to experience the eternal joys of my eternal kingdom through trusting in me. And that's the heart of Christ. That's what he offers to us. And I think a generous person shows a desire to treat others and to try and meet others' needs with the same kind of generosity that Jesus Christ exemplified during the course of his earthly ministry. Now, when you look at Psalm 112, and it speaks of the man who deals generously, speaks of a person who has chosen to go through life thinking about more than just his personal benefit. The generous person has their whole community in mind when they try and sow the seeds of generosity among the people that they're interacting with. They're thinking about others. They're thinking about the whole community. They're thinking about everyone they have the the opportunity to interact with. So this may include helping the poor, and we see examples of this in this psalm. Later in the psalm, it brings it up again, so we're going to be looking at that again in uh, just a few weeks. But in addition to that, it may also include just easing the suffering of a loved one or someone that we care about who might be going through an unexpected trial. Recently read something, and this actually made national news, which I thought was kind of interesting because it actually took place in Churchville, so just a few minutes away here from the church. But I I recently heard of a woman in Churchville whose husband was going through a year-long battle with something. I don't know the details of the medical condition that he had, but he was in the hospital for essentially a year. And her comment was, in the midst of all of that, while she was trying to be with her husband every day at the hospital, spending time at his bedside, trying to meet his needs as best as she can, as she's partnering with the medical professionals, in the process of prioritizing his needs, she made the comment, she said, my house was left to fend for itself. Like, my house was left to fend for itself, which anyone could understand. And one evening, she came home from spending the day at her husband's side, and she discovered that the flower boxes all around her house that normally she would care for and normally look beautiful, but had been neglected now for a period of time. She came home, and she discovered they were all brimming with flowers. They were all just exploding with flowers, beautiful colors, all these things all around her house. They were all full. They were all watered. They all looked amazing. And she was trying to figure out what was going on with that. And basically, one of her neighbors, who was aware of everything she was going through, wanted her to have something nice to look at every day when she arrived back home from the hospital. And so this neighbor took the time to just take care of all those flower boxes for a season so that she could see that when she got home. And I thought, what a wonderful demonstration of neighborly generosity, for a neighbor to do something like that. And maybe you've done things like that for your neighbors, or maybe you've been on the receiving end of a neighbor demonstrating generosity toward you. kind of reminds me of Proverbs chapter 14, verse 21. There it tells us the reverse of that, but it says, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. So all throughout Scripture, we have this idea of demonstrating very intentional generosity. We see it in Psalm 112. We see it elsewhere in Scripture. We see it in Proverbs 14, 21, this idea of being generous to those who need the generosity. And the Bible speaks of generosity and hospitality as virtues that are near to the heart of God. When you think about what God is like, when you think about how He operates and how He interacts with people and what He demonstrates to us, we see generosity and hospitality as virtues That are very dear to the heart of God. And something else we could see from Scripture is that those virtues, the virtues of generosity and hospitality, these are things that have a great opportunity to be demonstrated in the context of community. So, it could be in a context of a neighbor, or it could be in other contexts as well, but God values community. We see this in how He established the family, We could see this concept of community and how it functions when you look through the Old Testament and you watch how the Lord established ancient Israel to operate. We also see this in present day in how the Lord has designed the church to operate. And you can even see that lived out in very specific ways when you read the book of Acts and we take great encouragement from the example set for us by the early church as they would share all things with one another and meet one another's needs and go out, of each other's, go out of their way to meet each other's needs so that nobody went without what they needed. And I think that that's a beautiful example for us as believers. You know, when you see the heart of God demonstrated through his people, it, it can't help but make an impact on us. I love what Corey Tenboom said. She said, the measure of a life, after all, is not its duration— but it's donation. So think about that statement and what she meant. She's someone who loved the Lord very much, somebody that was certainly tested in a variety of ways during the course of her life, but she she made the comment, she said, the measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. And the idea was, she's saying, all right, if the Lord blesses you with the life that he's blessed you with, the idea isn't so much getting for yourself, the idea is giving away, using the life that he's given you to be a blessing to the people that he's placed in your life. Now, I think if you ask most people what they hope for in this world, I think that many would probably say something to the effect of this. I think this would probably be a statement you'd hear. I think you'd hear people say, all right, I'd like to live a long time in good health, with all my needs met, and with enough extra that I don't need to worry. Wouldn't you say that's a generally good, accurate summary of how most people would summarize the good life, right? Like to live a good long time, in good health, with my needs met, and with enough extra that I don't really feel like I need to worry. And if we want to act super spiritual, we can pick that mindset apart. We can probably point out some of its weaknesses. But the truth is, I think that's a statement that just about every person I have ever met on the face of this earth could make to one degree or another. Because I think all of us probably feel like well, yeah, I'd like to live a long life. It's like, all right, well, would you like to be healthy or unhealthy? Well, no, I'd like to be healthy. All right, would you like to have your needs met or not? Well, yes, I would like to have my needs met. Do you want to have extra as well? I wouldn't mind extra, sure. So, you know, we look at statements like that, and sometimes we think, oh, my goodness, so selfish, these other people. And then we, we do some introspection. We're like, wait a second. I think I kind of like the same stuff. So what's the balance with this? Well, one of the things that I think is how, one of the, the biggest thing I should say, that gives us balance here is our relationship with Christ and how that adds something to that equation that will be missing apart from that relationship. For those of us who know Jesus Christ, we're learning to value eternal things as well. Because that statement that I just made, that summary of what I think most people would say as they described you know, what a good life might look like. I think it misses eternal things. It speaks about day-to-day life apart from eternal things. But in Christ, we've been taught to value eternal things as well. And he's teaching us that our lives are about more than the accumulation of stuff. Our lives are about more than the accumulation of things. We, we see our lives and their use from a much longer timetable than just a brief 10 decades or less that we were blessed with on this planet. And as Jesus gave his life for the benefit of others, as we could see him doing that, we seek to do likewise because we're seeking to follow his example, or we're seeking to operate with the power that he gives to us. Our earthly lives are on loan from God, and these lives are meant to be used for his glory by investing in others as he enables us to do so. And so if we can identify some of the ways in which the Lord has blessed us through his generosity, you know, when you think about the course of your life and the different ways that the Lord has blessed you through his generosity, and if we'd like to demonstrate Christ-centered generosity within our culture and within the generation of people that we've been intentionally placed, how should we go about doing that? Practically speaking, if you want to be a person like is described in Psalm 112, verse 5, someone who deals generously, someone who lends, someone who who cares about the well-being of other people, practically speaking, what does it look like? How can we go about doing that in a Christ-centered fashion? I think one of the things that is wise for us as believers in Christ, if we're seeking to be generous in the ways that Christ has demonstrated generosity in Scripture and in the ways that He impresses that upon our hearts, I think, first of all, we need to recognize that we have been gifted to be generous. And I want you to think about this. I'm going to read a portion of Scripture for us in just a second. And it's a portion of Scripture that applies to every believer. But I think a lot of times people think that you, only need, that you must be somebody of great earthly means in order to be generous in this world. But what Scripture is teaching us to do is wherever you are, on whatever scale or however you would evaluate what you have access to or, or what you can utilize, with whatever you have been given, be generous with that. That's the concept that Scripture is teaching. You don't have to be, you're not responsible for being generous with somebody else's lot in life. Be generous with what the Lord has blessed you specifically with, because he's got a puzzle that he's putting together. He's got very intentional designs for what he's doing in the lives of believers. And he's giving certain believers access to certain things so that they could be generous with it, and other believers access to other things so that they could be generous with that. And I love what Scripture tells us when you look at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11. As it speaks about this, it says... Now, just think about this, all right? Take this to heart, because it says you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. not a cool statement? You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Enriched in every way to be generous in every way. When we read about the Lord enriching us, by the way, I think it could be easy for us to think that maybe that's exclusively financial. And by the way, as Paul was writing these words to the church at Corinth, the church at Corinth was known for having a lot of wealth in it. There were certainly people that were part of it that weren't wealthy, but there were a lot of people that were known for being rather wealthy in that church. And Paul was trying to help them see beyond that, so they didn't just think that that was somehow their source of sustenance and it can be easy for us, I think, you know, especially in our culture and in our day and age, for us to, to think that what Paul is referencing here might be exclusively financial, but there are other ways in addition to that that the Lord enriches people. Scripture tells us that we have been enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. So the, when you think about that, what are some of these ways in which the Lord enriches people? Well, the Lord enriches all of His children with spiritual gifts. And these spiritual gifts are meant to be utilized as we serve one another. So every believer in Jesus Christ has been spiritually gifted in order to be able to serve other people so that the church would be mutually built up. You have certain gifts, I have certain gifts, we're supposed to use them together so that other believers will be built up and so that the church will become stronger and that will glorify the Lord together. So that's one of the ways that the Lord enriches his children. Some of us can also, also identify some physical resources that we have been entrusted with. So if you've been entrusted with some physical resources that could be used to bless the lives of other people that you could use to just demonstrate Christ-centered generosity, then use those. Uh, some of us have been blessed financially. So if you've been blessed financially, glorify the Lord with, with whatever He's blessed you with. I was actually watching a video um, I think it was just last evening. I was watching it, and it was a man on the street interview in Newport Beach, California. And somebody was just randomly walking up to people and asking them personal financial questions, which I thought was a bit risky, but it was also kind of interesting video to watch. And he walked up to this one uh, man who was 80 years old, and he said to the guy, and the guy looked very healthy and and very fit, and uh, And apparently, he was very wealthy, too. And so the the man asked him, he said, all right, how did you you make your wealth? And he said, well, I made most of my wealth through real estate. And then he was going through some of the details and how he made most of his wealth. And then he asked him some follow-up questions. And the man said, listen, this is my thought when it comes to wealth. All of these things, he said, you know, in short order, I'm going to be seeing the Lord face to face. And here's the thing. All of these things I recognize are just gifts that are on loan to me from God. So, I try and be intentional about earning, but I try and be even more intentional about giving. And he said, My goal and my wife's goal, our goal is to finish up with zero. We're not trying to finish up with a whole bunch in the bank. He said, Our goal is to actually finish up with zero. And so, we're looking for ways to be very intentional about just giving it all away. The Lord has met every need we have, and we're trying to finish with zero and give it all away. Now, you could look at that and say, Well, Doesn't Scripture say, you know, leave an inheritance for your children's children? I get that. I think my my personal goal with that would be give a whole bunch of it away and leave some for your family. But this man, his thought was, he said, there's nothing I've done in life that's brought me as much joy as just blessing the, the lives of other people with things that the Lord's entrusted me with. And so he's like, I'm just going to keep doing it until the Lord calls me home because it doesn't belong to me. Now, this wasn't a Christian video that I was watching. That was the only part of the video where it referenced things of that nature. But I so appreciated hearing that man's perspective, and I was really glad that they included it in it. So he's like, all right, the Lord blessed me with smarts to know how to get finances, and then a desire to give the finances away that he blessed me with. That's what that man was saying. Some of us have been blessed with skills. There are people in our church that I watch just kind of covertly and secretly use the skills and the talents that the Lord has given them to go around like agents of blessing to help meet the needs of other people in the church through the skills that they've blessed with. Some people that I've noticed in our church family and just in in my relationships in general are blessed in the area of relationships, and they use the relationships that they have to introduce this person to this person and develop a friendship. Or, oh, I know someone that can help you with that. And then they make the connection. They just go through life connecting this person, this person, this person, and this person. And basically, there, there isn't a category of enriching. The, I mean, even the flower in your house is enriched, right? That was a funnier joke than I, I think you gave it credit for. But anyway... Sarah, thank you for smiling in the back. Um, There isn't a category of enriching that the Lord hasn't blessed you and I with that we can't use to be a blessing to somebody else, that we couldn't use to share that blessing with somebody else in our life. So if we want to bless others, let's first acknowledge that we've been blessed But can I give you just like a side piece of advice to that? Don't compare your blessing to somebody else's. Don't compare the ways that the Lord's blessed you with the ways that he's blessed somebody else. Because when you do that, you're always going to be able to find somebody that you have a little bit more than. And you're always going to be able to find somebody that you have a little bit less than. And instead of engaging in unhealthy comparison when you analyze the ways in which the Lord has blessed you, Just gratefully acknowledge what he's entrusted to your oversight and care and remind yourself that you've been divinely blessed in order that you might have the privilege to be a blessing to somebody else with whatever you've been blessed with. So I think it all starts with this idea of recognizing that you have been gifted to be generous. Something else that I think is a, a, a great biblical principle for us if we want to be intentionally generous is just keeping our eyes open to the needs that the Lord shows us. Keep your eyes open to the needs that the Lord shows us. Look at what it tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. In that verse, it says this, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It's a very direct statement, isn't it? The Apostle John writing that to the early church. One of the things that I think happens it, first of all, if you're someone who knows Jesus Christ, I'm sure that you've come to terms with the fact that he loves you deeply. And as one who is loved by him, what ends up happening is you learn to love him. Not just emotionally, but actionally in all the different ways that, that love gets expressed. And as your love for Jesus grows, I believe that your desire to meet the needs of your brother or your sister. I believe that that will grow as well, because you start to love those that Jesus loves. And when the Lord places within your heart the desire to be generous, he's actually giving you the opportunity to understand how his mind and how his intentions work. He's giving you a little picture. He's letting you close to his heart so that you can understand how he tries to interact with people. He delights to share good things with his children. And I think he'll place that delight within you. You know, if you want to be the generous person like it's described in Psalm 112 verse 5, I think ultimately it comes back to the fact that Christ places that delight within you. It's a delight that he has that he starts to reflect and emanate from your life and from my life as we walk with him, as we learn to love him. I think he'll show you where to exercise generosity as well. And I also think he'll help you to be very cautious about those who may be deceptively trying to take advantage of your giving nature. And I think he'll show you where to use what he's blessed you with, and he will caution you and put a check in your spirit about where not to use these things. And what I would say is don't drown out the voice of the Holy Spirit when he speaks to you about the needs that you've been called to meet. Seek his wisdom to know which needs are actually genuine. Um, Even when you look at this portion of Scripture from 1 John chapter 3, what does it say? But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, think of that statement for a second, and sees his brother in need. Scripture uses this example of seeing your brother in need. What's it getting at? Well, your brother is someone whose life you can observe. There's a level of accountability there that can help you not make the mistake of unintentionally funding reckless or godless behavior. It's the idea of, all right, this is someone who's made themselves accountable to me. They're being transparent with their life. I see that my brother actually has a genuine need. And then meeting that need as the Holy Spirit implores your heart to do so. But can I encourage us to do one additional thing? If we want to be generous in a way that honors the heart of Christ... Can I just encourage us as a church family and as individuals to become intentional stewards of this world's resources? Now, what do I mean by that when I say be intentional stewards of this world's resources? I have to admit there, there was a season in my life I was not a very intentional steward of this world's resources. Now I'm trying to do better at that. But over time, the Lord's convinced me that it's careless and ignorant for me to waste any of the resources that he's entrusted to me. I think Christians should be an example to this world of what generosity really looks like. But I think for that to happen consistently, we need to, to learn to value intentional stewardship of the resources that we have access to. And I think the most visible way, the most obvious way that plays out is in the area of our finances, because it ends up impacting the other areas of our life and our opportunities to be generous. Now, I have to confess to you, I used to follow this world's patterns when it came to my personal finances. You know, this scripture here we're looking at today talks about generosity, and and I had basically put myself in a spot where I was robbing myself of the opportunity to be generous to the level that I really could have been generous because I was following the world's pattern in regard to my personal finances. So that meant I I bought things I could not afford. Right? Now, I know I'm not the only one that's ever done that, but that's what I was doing. Uh, I, I wasn't saving for emergencies. That seems dumb, you know? Especially when I realized, I was like, you know, the Lord's blessed you with four kids. You think you might have an emergency now and then? Yeah. And not saving for emergencies with four kids? How dumb is that? I wasn't investing in the future. Oh, that's a good idea, like don't invest in the future. Why would you not invest for the future? Mostly because I was choosing to live in ignorance and I I wasn't thinking about that. I watched TV during the hours of the evening when I could have been developing additional streams of income. I treated debt like it wasn't a threat to my family's well-being. And again, I robbed myself of opportunities to be generous because I didn't give myself any margin by which I could do so because I was always living right on the edge financially. I did that for the first chunk of my adult life. And then I remember at one point, this all started to become clear to me. I realized that it was keeping me up at night. I realized I felt very uncomfortable about this. And when this started to become clear to me, at the time, I happened to be driving a brand new truck with a very hefty payment and really, really poor gas mileage, but that truck looked so sweet and had every bell and whistle that car companies had thought of up until that time. And Everywhere I went, people would look at that thing, and they were like, that is sharp. Tell me about that, and I'd get to tell people about my truck. And, I thought that was really cool. And then people want to see the inside and I'd show them the inside and it had different doors on it and all sorts of things. It was just great. And um, unfortunately, and I didn't even think about this. I remember being shocked when I got my insurance bill after I first bought the truck. It didn't even occur to me at the time when I bought it that my insurance was also going to go way up, but it did. And so I I had this hefty payment with a gas guzzling vehicle that I really couldn't afford the gas for. And, uh, and then my insurance went through the roof, and I was like, oh, this was really wise, John, like really wise, and I drove that truck around for about a year, and I remember doing the math and realizing how much I could save each month if I just got rid of that truck, and I started thinking about that a lot, and so I woke up one day, and I told my wife. Now, she knew how much I enjoyed that truck, but I, I basically said to her, I was like, uh, Andrea, um, I'm getting rid of the truck today, and I'm buying something that we can actually afford. And she's like, and her comment was supportive. But she looked at me and she goes, are you sure? Like, you really like that truck. And I was like, no, I'm 100% positive. She was shocked. She was supportive. But later that day, I came home with a base model sedan that was a few years older than that truck. It had crank windows and zero frills except one. It did have one frill. And the one frill, it did have AC. So that was a pretty acceptable frill, right? Uh, had, but nothing else. Crank windows. It didn't even have like electric mirror adjustment. So like, if anyone dared bump the mirror on the passenger side, that meant I had to like reach over and then adjust it through a little like, manual button. It wasn't power or anything. I had to sit back and look. Nope, not right. <laughs> Fix it. And be like, now we're good. And then you actually get on the road, and you're like, no, it's not good at all. I can't see cars. I'm going to die, right? But I, that's what I bought. And by the way, we still own that car. We bought that car in 2007. My, my oldest daughter just bought it off me. <laughs> 2007, I feel like that's the unsung. I look at that car with such admiration. I hope she loves it as much as I always have. Because I look at that, I'm like, that's the unsung hero that helped us really get ahead in, in certain areas. That, buying that inexpensive 2005 Honda Civic with no frills was the start of our personal financial transformation that honestly has resulted in greater peace and greater opportunities for us to be generous. And I, this is my... Now, I come down on this kind of hard sometimes, so I'm going to try and balance this out so I don't say this as hard as I really want to say it but I can't promise that won't sneak out. I have, I've seen both sides of life on this one, both in my childhood and in my adulthood. And I look at it this way, especially because many of the decisions we're making are optional. They're not being forced upon us. I don't see any reason why Christians should follow the irresponsible financial pattern that's embraced by our culture. I see no reason why we as believers in Christ should do that. Now, I'm confessing to you, I have made that mistake. But the idea is don't keep making the mistake once you become aware of the fact that you've made the mistake in the past. Because the mindset of our culture is a mindset that's based on consumption, debt, and then sometimes outright fraud. And it's a mindset that seeks to get at whatever cost it can. It's not a mindset That's focused on giving. It's not a mindset that's focused on careful stewardship. So I think when we look at our lives, when we think about this idea of what does it look like to grow mature in Christ, I think we need to look at all the different categories. And there's probably one of these categories we would look at and we would say, all right, this is where I'm strong, this is where I'm weak. And so submit the area where you feel weak over to the Lord and ask Him to do something miraculous in your life in regard to it, because I think it should be our aim to be spiritually mature and spiritually healthy, relationally healthy. Emotionally healthy, physically healthy, and financially healthy, and to serve as examples to our culture of the ways in which the Holy Spirit empowers that kind of health. And when it comes to our finances, I believe Christians should blaze the trail for the rest of the culture to understand what it looks like to earn and save and invest and give for Christ's glory. I don't know if you're familiar with the name John Wesley. You ever hear the name John Wesley? John Wesley was one of the most popular evangelists that this world has has ever seen. He was very active in the 1700s and, by God's grace, had the opportunity to lead many people to Christ. And many of the things that he did uh, continue to be uh, just a powerful example to many believers and many Christian leaders and pastors ever since. But Wesley once said this. He said, he made this comment. He says, when a man becomes a Christian... He becomes industrious, trustworthy, and prosperous. Now, if that man, when he gets all he can and saves all he can, does not give all he can, I have more hope for Judas Iscariot than for that man. That's what Wesley said. What is he saying? He's saying, you know what, it's a really good thing if you become industrious. It's a really good thing if you become trustworthy. Trustworthy. It's actually not a bad thing if you become prosperous. If the Lord blesses you and you just have like a great entrepreneurial mind and you become prosperous in the resources of of this world, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you start worshiping it and it becomes the thing that governs your life and it's the only thing you think about and you you can't give it away, you can't bless the life of somebody else with it, then that, in fact, has become your God. And that's what Wesley is saying. He's saying, look, be industrious, be entrepreneur, be prosperous. It's all wonderful, but make sure you recognize who the real God is. Make sure you realize that Christ is Lord, not the resources he entrusts to us. And so when we think about this idea of of Psalm 112, verse 5, as it's saying, listen, the righteous man is a generous man. The righteous woman is a generous woman. What are you doing with what the Lord has made available to you? Are you wasting it or are you shaping it? Are you figuring out new ways that you can earn? I love hanging out with entrepreneurial people. I think it's so fun. Are you thinking about wiser ways that you can save? Are you thinking about maybe more effective ways you can invest so that you could then be a blessing to those who have genuine needs because the Lord's given you the smarts, and the intelligence and just that action-oriented personality that gets stuff done and then through you blesses many people? Or are you choosing to stay needy because of excess and irresponsibility far beyond what was actually necessary because you're following the world's pattern in regard to how you steward what's been entrusted to you? Again, I've lived on both sides of that line. And I would not want to go back to that, at least not by choice. Generosity at its core, when you think about it at its core, it's the fruit of, uh, of spiritual discipline and spiritual maturity. So what are, we, what are we doing with what we've been given? And if our current pattern continues, will it lead to more opportunities for generosity or less? If our current pattern continues, will it lead to more opportunities for generosity or less opportunities for generosity? One last thing I want to share with us as as we finish up, it's another Wesley quote, and I just want to end with this today because I think it's really appropriate, but Wesley said this, he said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and the things that we're able to look at from a portion of scripture like we just spent time looking at today. Lord, it's interesting to just think about this this concept of generosity as you've revealed it in your word. We see that That the person of character that you describe in Psalm 112 is someone who's known to be generous and someone who lends to those in need, which seems to indicate that this is somebody who's also been a bit industrious, and they've certainly been blessed with what you've allowed them to steward. And so, Lord, when I look at that, I think to myself, all right, what's the backstory that, that led to all of this? And I think the backstory is obvious, When we read through your word, there are certain principles that you've given to us that if we put into place, they have certain outcomes. It's not a mystery that if we follow you, that results in a better life than if we choose to go our own way or if we choose to adopt this world's mindset and patterns and practices. And Lord, we know that this world's way, this world's values, this world's priority is the type of thing that can easily seep into the church. We see... When we look at ancient Israel, we see how the surrounding cultures had a negative influence on them. And when we look at the church of present day, we can identify different ways that the culture has had a negative influence on the church and the ways that we as individuals have to admit that the culture has had a negative influence on us. But Lord, we pray that we would look at these things differently, that we would look at generosity from the perspective of what's been accomplished on our behalf through your son, Jesus Christ, that we would look at the work that He accomplished during the course of His earthly ministry and the ways in which He interacted with people and demonstrated His heart to us. That we would look at what He accomplished on the cross and recognize just the giving nature of what was demonstrated there. That we would look at, at the resurrection and the fact that that kind of resurrection is being promised to those who trust in Your Son. And that we would even think about some of the type of things That that Jesus has made clear through his followers, but also even what he said on the cross to the thief next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. The fact that eternal blessing in your kingdom is something that we have the privilege to, to receive as an act of your generosity through faith in your Son. Lord, we realize that generosity is close to your heart. We realize that you give to us in ways that we don't deserve, and you give us the opportunity to bless others likewise, to be stewards of anything that you, you place in our hands. And so, Lord, we pray that that would be the kind of mindset that we have, that we would be shrewd in some respects as we go through life, being industrious, being thoughtful, coming up with different ways that, that we could ethically earn and then use those resources to bless the lives of other people. Lord, that seems like a good use of our time. And a great use of the resources that can be produced through something like that. So Lord, I'm just grateful for the examples that you give to us in, in your word. I'm grateful for, for people like Wesley, who had interesting things to say about it, and Corey Tenboom, who who certainly encouraged generosity during the course of her earthly life and ministry. And Lord, we pray that we would be in that mindset, in that chain of people who look at our lives and and we recognize that stewardship is just a, a wonderful privilege. It's a wonderful blessing. And Lord, in addition to finances, you give us the opportunity to be stewards of our gifts, these spiritual gifts, these opportunities for service, talents that you've given to us, time that you've allowed us to have, relationships that we have, all sorts of things, Lord. And you give us an example in the early church of what it looks like to meet one another's needs. Lord, it's a, it's a much healthier way to live. It's a much healthier way to, to perceive life when we stop thinking about what we can get from this life and start thinking about what we can utilize for your glory and share for the benefit of those that we care about. So again, Lord, thank you for the example of, of the person of character that we see in Psalm 112, but we know that that's ultimately exemplified in your Son, Jesus Christ, And we pray that we would reflect the heart of Christ in all our our dealings, all our interactions, all our relationships. We're grateful, Lord, that, that you empower us to do so. And we're grateful for even just the privilege to be able to start off our week with a reminder of these things today. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all of these things. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.